welcome to the Perennials Podcast Book Club. I'm Victoria Russell, and you're listening to Chapter 23 of Anne of Green Gables by L. M. Montgomery. Chapter 23. Anne Comes to Grief in an Affair of Honor. Anne had to live through more than two weeks as it happened. Almost a month having elapsed since the liniment cake episode, it was high time for her to get into fresh trouble of some sort, little mistakes, such as absentmindedly emptying a pan of skim milk into a basket of yarn balls in the pantry instead of into the pig's bucket, and walking clean over the edge of the log bridge into the brook while wrapped in imaginative reverie, not really being worth counting. A week after the tea at the manse, Diana Berry gave a party. "'Small and select,' Anne assured Marilla, "'just the girls in our class.' They had a very good time, and nothing untoward happened until after tea, when they found themselves in the berry garden, a little tired of all their games and ripe for any enticing form of mischief which might present itself. This presently took the form of daring. Daring was the fashionable amusement among the Avonlea small fry just then. It had begun among the boys, but soon spread to the girls, and all the silly things that were done in Avonlea that summer because the doers thereof were dared to do them would fill a book by themselves. First of all, Carrie Sloan dared Ruby Gillis to climb to a certain point in the huge old willow tree before the front door, which Ruby Gillis, albeit in mortal dread of the fat green caterpillars with which said tree was infested, and with the fear of her mother before her eyes if she should tear her new muslin dress, nimbly did, to the discomfiture of the aforesaid Carrie Sloan. Then Josie Pye dared Jane Andrews to hop on her left leg around the garden without stopping once or putting her right foot to the ground which Jane Andrews gamely tried to do, but gave out at the third corner and had to confess herself defeated. Josie's triumph being rather more pronounced than good taste permitted, Anne Shirley dared her to walk along the top of the board fence which bounded the garden to the east. Now, to walk board fences requires more skill and steadiness of head and heel than one might suppose who has never tried it. But Josie Pye, if deficient in some qualities that make for popularity, had at least a natural and inborn gift, duly cultivated, for walking board fences. Josie walked the berry fence with an airy unconcern which seemed to imply that a little thing like that wasn't worth a dare. Reluctant admiration greeted her exploit, for most of the other girls could appreciate it, having suffered many things themselves in their efforts to walk fences. Josie descended from her perch, flushed with victory, and darted a defiant glance at Anne. Anne tossed her red braids. "'I don't think it's such a very wonderful thing to walk a little low board fence,' she said. "'I knew a girl in Marysville who could walk the ridgepole of a roof.' "'I don't believe it,' said Josie flatly. "'I don't believe anybody could walk a ridgepole. You couldn't, anyhow.' "'Couldn't I?' cried Anne rashly. "'Then I dare you to do it,' said Josie defiantly. I dare you to climb up there and walk the ridgepole of Mr. Barry's kitchen roof. Anne turned pale, but there was clearly only one thing to be done. She walked toward the house where a ladder was leaning against the kitchen roof. All the fifth-class girls said, oh, partly in excitement, partly in dismay. Don't you do it, Anne, entreated Diana. You'll fall off and be killed. Never mind, Josie Pye. It isn't fair to dare anybody to do anything so dangerous. I must do it. "'My honor is at stake,' said Anne solemnly. "'I shall walk that ridgepole, Diana, or perish in the attempt. "'If I am killed, you are to have my pearl bead ring.' 
Anne climbed the ladder amid breathless silence, gained the ridgepole, balanced herself uprightly on that precarious footing, and started to walk along it, dizzily conscious that she was uncomfortably high up in the world, and that walking ridgepoles was not a thing in which your imagination helped you out much. Nevertheless, she managed to take several steps before the catastrophe came. Then she swayed, lost her balance, stumbled, staggered, and fell, sliding down over the sun-baked roof and crashing off it through the tangle of Virginia creeper beneath, all before the dismayed circle below could give a simultaneous, terrified shriek. If Anne had tumbled off the roof on the side up which she had ascended, Diana would probably have fallen heir to the pearl bead ring then and there. Fortunately, she fell on the other side, where the roof extended down over the porch so neatly to the ground that a fall therefrom was a much less serious thing. Nevertheless, when Diana and the other girls had rushed frantically around the house, except Ruby Gillis, who remained as if rooted to the ground and went into hysterics, they found Anne lying all white and limp among the wreck and ruin of the Virginia Creeper. "'Anne, are you killed?' shrieked Diana, throwing herself on her knees beside her friend. "'Oh, Anne, dear Anne, speak just one word to me and tell me if you're killed!' To the immense relief of all the girls, and especially of Josie Pye, who, in spite of lack of imagination, had been seized with horrible visions of a future branded as the girl who was the cause of Anne Shirley's early and tragic death, Anne sat dizzily up and answered uncertainly, "'No, Diana, I am not killed, but I think I am rendered unconscious.' "'Where?' sobbed Carrie Sloane. "'Oh, where, Anne?' Before Anne could answer, Mrs. Barry appeared on the scene. At sight of her, Anne tried to scramble to her feet, but sank back again with a sharp little cry of pain. "'What's the matter? Where have you hurt yourself?' demanded Mrs. Barry. "'My ankle,' gasped Anne. "'Oh, Diana, please find your father and ask him to take me home. I know I can never walk there, and I'm sure I couldn't hop so far on one foot when Jane couldn't even hop around the garden.' Marilla was out in the orchard picking a panful of summer apples when she saw Mr. Barry coming over the low bridge and up the slope, with Mrs. Barry beside him and a whole procession of little girls trailing after him. In his arms he carried Anne, whose head lay limply against his shoulder. At that moment Marilla had a revelation. In the sudden stab of fear that pierced her very heart she realized what Anne had come to mean to her. She would have admitted that she liked Anne, nay, that she was very fond of Anne, but now she knew as she hurried wildly down the slope that Anne was dearer to her than anything else on earth. "'Mr. Barry, what has happened to her?' she gasped, more white and shaken than the self-contained, sensible Marilla had been for many years. Anne herself answered, lifting her head. "'Don't be frightened, Marilla. I was walking the ridgepole and I fell off. I expect I have sprained my ankle, but, Marilla, I might have broken my neck. Let us look on the bright side of things.' "'I might have known you'd go and do something of the sort when I let you go to that party,' said Marilla, sharp and shrewish in her very relief. "'Bring her in here, Mr. Barry, and lay her on the sofa. Mercy me, the child has gone and fainted.' It was quite true. Overcome by the pain of her injury, Anne had one more of her wishes granted to her. She had fainted dead away. Matthew, hastily summoned from the harvest field, was straightway dispatched for the doctor, who in due time came to discover that the injury was more serious than they had supposed.' Anne's ankle was broken. That night, when Marilla went up to the east gable, where a white-faced girl was lying, a plaintive voice greeted her from the bed. "'Aren't you very sorry for me, Marilla?' "'It was your own fault,' said Marilla, twitching down the blind and lighting the lamp. "'And that is just why you should be sorry for me,' said Anne, "'because the thought that it is all my own fault is what makes it so hard. "'If I could blame it on anybody, I would feel so much better. "'But what would you have done, Marilla, if you had been dared to walk a ridgepole?' I'd have stayed on good firm ground and let them dare away. Such absurdity. 
said Marilla, and sighed. But you have such strength of mind, Marilla. I haven't. I just felt that I couldn't bear Josie Pye's scorn. She would have crowed over me all my life. And I think I have been punished so much that you needn't be very cross with me, Marilla. It's not a bit nice to faint after all. And the doctor hurt me dreadfully when he was setting my ankle. I won't be able to go around for six or seven weeks and I'll miss the new lady teacher. She won't be new anymore by the time I'm able to go to school. And Gil, everybody will get ahead of me in class. Oh, I'm an afflicted mortal. But I'll try to bear it all bravely if only you won't be cross with me, Marilla. There, there, I'm not cross, said Marilla. You're an unlucky child, there's no doubt about that. But as you say, you'll have the suffering of it. Here now, try and eat some supper. Isn't it fortunate I've got such an imagination, said Anne. It will help me through splendidly, I expect. What do people who haven't any imagination do when they break their bones, do you suppose, Marilla? Anne had good reason to bless her imagination many a time and off during the tedious seven weeks that followed. But she was not solely dependent on it. She had many visitors, and not a day passed without one or more of the schoolgirls dropping in to bring her flowers and books and tell her all the happenings in the juvenile world of Avonlea. "'Everybody has been so good and kind, Marilla,' sighed Anne happily on the day when she could first limp across the floor. "'It isn't very pleasant to be laid up, but there is a bright side to it, Marilla. You find out how many friends you have. Why, even Superintendent Bell came to see me, and he's really a very fine man.' Not a kindred spirit, of course, but still I like him, and I'm awfully sorry I ever criticized his prayers. I believe now he really does mean them, only he has got into the habit of saying them as if he didn't. He could get over that if he'd take a little trouble. I gave him a good broad hint. I told him how hard I tried to make my own little private prayers interesting. He told me all about the time he broke his ankle when he was a boy. It does seem so strange to think of Superintendent Bell ever being a boy. Even my imagination has its limits, for I can't imagine that. When I try to imagine him as a boy, I see him with gray whiskers and spectacles, just as he looks in Sunday school, only small. Now it's so easy to imagine Mrs. Allen as a little girl. Mrs. Allen has been to see me fourteen times. Isn't that something to be proud of, Marilla, when a minister's wife has so many claims on her time? She is such a cheerful person to have visit you, too. She never tells you it's your own fault, and she hopes you'll be a better girl on account of it. Mrs. Lynde always told me that when she came to see me, and she said it in a kind of way that made me feel she might hope I'd be a better girl, but didn't really believe I would. Even Josie Pye came to see me. I received her as politely as I could, because I think she was sorry she dared me to walk a ridgepole. If I had been killed, she would have had to carry a dark burden of remorse all her life. Diana has been a faithful friend. She's been over every day to cheer my lonely pillow. But, oh, I shall be so glad when I can go to school, for I've heard such exciting things about the new teacher. The girls all think she is perfectly sweet. Diana says she has the loveliest fair curly hair and such fascinating eyes. She dresses beautifully and her sleeve puffs are bigger than anybody else's in Avonlea. Every other Friday afternoon she has recitations and everybody has to say a piece or take part in a dialogue. Oh, it's just glorious to think of it. Josie Pye says she hates it, but that is just because Josie has so little imagination. Diana and Ruby Gillis and Jane Andrews are preparing a dialogue called A Morning Visit for next Friday. And the Friday afternoons they don't have recitations, Miss Stacy takes them all to the woods for a field day, and they study ferns and flowers and birds, and they have physical culture exercises every morning and evening. Mrs. Lynn says she never heard of such goings-on, and it all comes of having a lady teacher. But I think it must be splendid, and I believe I shall find that Miss Stacy is a kindred spirit. There's one thing plain to be seen, Anne, said Marilla, and that is that your fall off the berry roof hasn't injured your ton at all. It's really nice to see the girls of Avonlea being 
playful and active and daring and maybe even a little bit mischievous in this chapter. You know, we learn that the boys are the ones who started daring each other, but that the girls started doing it too. And I like that we see that the girls like to do that stuff too. And they're not just these little prim proper robots that maybe someone like Mrs. Lynde might prefer for them to be. And I can't help but admire Anne for getting up on that roof and trying to walk the ridge pole. I know that objectively it was a very bad idea and it's terrible that she gets so hurt, but I respect the fact that she's willing to get up there and try and I think it ultimately serves her and her character to have some guts um, and to, I don't know, to just like, to be a kid like that who um, is gonna like does some stuff that might be a little bit reckless but she like she does learn okay maybe I won't do that again um but also she's not like ruled by fear and so there's also definitely a lot of pride that influenced that decision but I kind of feel like you go girl because I've always been much more of a Ruby Gillis myself and so I appreciate and admire Anne's pluck even if it was not the smartest decision. (laughs) And something that I love about the way this book is written is that I never feel like the narrator is judging Anne either. This chapter isn't a parable to warn little girls not to climb onto roofs. I feel like Montgomery is really generous with Anne and with all of the characters, really. And she's just showing us people in all of their layered complexities and how choices and actions have consequences and sometimes when you take a risk you fall off a roof but it doesn't mean she's not like punishing Anne for that or wagging a finger at her and if anything I love how she manages to mix humor into even the dramatic moments like this one and some poignancy too so when Anne falls She tells Diana, I think I'm unconscious. And Carrie's like, where? Where, Anne? (laughs) Which makes no sense. And even in her pain, Anne manages to get in one of her little digs when she asks Diana to get her father to bring her home because she says, you know, I couldn't hop all the way home on one foot when Jane couldn't even hop around the garden. (laughs) Um, And then we learn that Anne had one more of her wishes granted when she faints. Um, which is funny to think of her, you know, like that's a wish of hers, which I think I was similar as a kid, like very dramatic and really here for like getting attention in that way, in my own mind, like in that fantasy way of, oh, wouldn't it be great if I got all the attention because this thing happened? Uh, Wouldn't that be romantic or whatever? And she learns, oh, it wasn't nice at all. So I think Anne learns things in this chapter Uh, when she actually has experiences it's just her growing up it's like not punishing or judging her for these things but seeing her go okay so maybe not the best decision okay fainting's not actually cool and it's like it's one of those moments when Anne realizes her imagination isn't entirely dependable And I so relate to Anne when she says it's much harder to bear the whole ordeal knowing it was her own fault. Because there's just something about that added layer of suffering when you realize, you know, maybe you decided not to put on sunscreen and then you stayed outside an hour longer 
and then you're sunburned and like the burn feels worse because you know you could have just put on the sunscreen it's your own fault that you didn't um and when you can't like blame anyone else uh or you you know you you feel like uh there are going to be people like Mrs. Lind who kind of are blaming you as well it's just uh it's a it is really like Anne says kind of a, a form of punishment and of course, Montgomery always sneaks in that just like heart melting moment. Uh, in this case, it's when Marilla sees that Anne is hurt and she realizes that she doesn't just like Anne. She's not just fond of Anne, but that Anne is dearer to her than anything else in the world. I just love these glimpses into Marilla because I think that's what makes this book so have so much depth and richness to it it's not you're not just getting Anne's experience because this is technically a children's book you're actually getting these very deep mature um, insights into Marilla as well and her experience of having her heart softened and opened a little bit and even though she doesn't know how to express it I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of someone that you love gets hurt or is sick or something um, and you just have this moment of like a reminder of how much they mean to you and a reminder of how grateful you are for them and and how important they are in your life and it's that that rattling feeling that hopefully you know you can take and and use it to express appreciation or to be to be more present with that person or to to actually deepen or strengthen your relationship and ultimately Marilla although she says it was your own fault you know she she reassures her I'm not cross and she doesn't punish her and I just love that relationship that they have and the way that it's working on Marilla to put her in touch with her feelings and loosen up some of her rigidity as well And speaking of the adults, I'm so excited to hear about the new teacher, Miss Stacy, and how she has these recitations and field days and physical activity. And I love that we started the chapter with these little girls being daring and active, and we end learning about a teacher who's another model for them of a woman who is smart and confident and active and engaged in the world, including the outdoor world, and who is really helping them to be smarter and more confident and active and engaged as well. I'm so happy for Anne that she's going to have this teacher and I can't wait to get to know her. So I hope you'll join me next time for chapter 24 of Anne of Green Gables. I'm Victoria Russell. You've been listening to the Perennials Podcast Book Club. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you leave a review or a rating, that helps other people to find it and I hope you're enjoying feel free to reach out to me if you ever want to share some thoughts about Anne at perennialsbookclub at gmail.com